Yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away. Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now, where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host, who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. Thank you, the voice of Ryan Treasure, who has been my voiceover intro person for so many years at Voice America. Thank you, Ryan. I never remember whether I say this is the future or that, so I'm just going to say I'm taking you into the future. What an interesting show we have today. So many of you think you have a smartphone, a smart home, and you want a smart home. What does it mean? What's the market space there? How do you manage all of those apps? What are you going to do with it? Is it going to control you? Are you going to control it? Are you going to be healthier, happier, smarter? Are we going to have so many questions. So I have my research and I've got four experts with me and we're going to tackle the topic of the future of smart homes and sustainability. That's the key word of the year, isn't it? Your intelligent app ecosystem. Did you know you needed an ecosystem to have a smartphone and a smart pad and a smart home and a smart dishwasher and a smart bed? And a sp- My goodness, we're just going to be so smart. We can't stand ourselves. So let me read a couple of buzz quotes. First, I have a quote from an article on Forbes. Uh, the author was John Kestier, and the article was titled, Smart from the Start, Smart Home is Becoming a Sustainable Home. Listen up. For some, a smart house is chock full of gadgets that automate or monitor almost every conceivable part of a house. For others, a smart house is extreme simplicity. Oh, my. With only the slightest of technological intrusions as necessity demands. Smart home is a massive and quick-growing market. In 2020, it was just $79 billion. What can I tell you? It's growing at 25% a year, according to Mordor, and it's expected to hit $314 billion a year by 2026. That's a lot of money. Let me give you some examples. Apple has a home app. Google has Nest. Google has a home app. AirThinks has air quality monitor app. MyQ for smart garage doors. Aware home for another air quality monitor. An app for a smart bed. A Dyson app. A Wemo app. A Nanoleaf app. A Govi home map. Oh my goodness, so many apps. Now I have a quote from KB Home VP Dan Bridelman. And listen to this. He says, managing smart home is hard. You do need an ecosystem fundamentally because you can't say, oh, here's your brand new house, but... Oh, you've got 300 apps, 300 passwords. You need to connect them by yourself. You got to figure out and have all these things attached to your wireless network. And who on my panel, raise your hand, who would love to buy a home that had 300 apps and they told you you've got to have 300 passwords? Mary, would you, you wouldn't, wouldn't be too happy. Leonard, you'd be happy with that? <laughs> okay, Leonard's, Leonard's my brave hero of the day. I have another quote from the same, same Forbes article. Increasingly, this is important. What makes a smart home smart isn't necessarily the Google home on the shelf or the space heater with an app. It's the fundamentals. What is a home supposed to do? It's supposed to give us heat, supposed to give us light, supposed to give us shelter and power more than light. A smart home does its job whether your power provider doesn't or does. That's interesting as I have been the victim of many outages. And I have one more quote from another article on Forbes from Aaron Norris. Listen up. At CES Computer The Computer Expo in 2020, Steve Koenig, who was VP of Research at CTA, said the Internet of Things, we call that the IoT, needed to rebrand itself to the intelligence of things. Think about that for the decade ahead. So that was in 2020. That was two years ago. 
He says, how to smartly integrate all these devices in a secure way. There's that magic word, secure. Didn't say private, just secure. That makes consumers comfortable sharing the data that's required to make smart things in your home truly smart. And builders are at the front and center in smart home technology conversations. There's a, call it a beneficial nudge, may come in unique ways from real estate industries outside the tech space. In other words, I'm going to sell you a smart home, Pierre, and I'm going to make you happy about it. And Lee, I'm going to give you an ecosystem. And Leonard, I'm going to make it easy for you. And Mary, you're going to be delighted. You're going to power light, shelter, heat, and might even cook breakfast for you. There you go. That's our topic for today. Let's get started with introductions. Lee Miller. Oh, shout out. We have Ashley Carter in the background. Ashley helped me put together this show. And she introduced me to three of our panelists, to Lee, to Mary, and to Pierre. And a shout out to my good friend and colleague, Eric Simone, who introduced me to Leonard Lee. So thank you to the people behind the scenes who helped put this together. We've been working on this for months, haven't we, Ashley? Okay, Lee Miller, you're up first. Lee, do me the honor, please, of introducing yourself to my audience. Why are you here? What's so special about this topic? Welcome, Lee. Hi, um, Lee Miller, Vice President of Sales here at RealPage, um, particularly Smart Building. So we're a multifamily software company. Our department really uh, handles everything from specifications of large uh, apartment buildings, everything from the Wi-Fi backbone to being able to control that Nest thermostat and being able to try to get people in and out of the building um, with a a lot more um, on top of that. We really want to be able to bring that information, the data from that building. How are people using buildings, those sorts of things, not only to make it more sustainable, but also lower the uh, kind of labor on site to manage these large projects. Um, my background, been in technology ever since uh, right out of college, well, actually in college, started slinging TVs at Best Buy, um, then moved into home technology. Um, I used to design systems for large homes. Moved over to the manufacturer side, uh, moved over to London and kind of ran the multifamily business over there. Um, and then when we returned to the States, I joined with Stratus and that's where, you know, we we're acquired by RealPage. We're, we're, the, we're the backbone that brings everything together. There could, like, like Bonnie says, there's, you know, a, a apartment building is no different than somebody's home. You know, you walk into an apartment building five years ago, there's 10 different apps that a new resident has to download. We're bringing all those apps into one single pane of glass. So thanks for having me today, Bonnie. Oh, thank you very much, Lee. Very, very, I've never heard anybody say slinging TVs. <laughs> you, you, you slung them in a safe, like onto a pillow or onto a, where did you sling them, Lee? Well, you know, I mean, the, the things you don't see at Best Buy after hours, especially during those holiday seasons, you got to restock those shelves. So yeah, it, TVs, VCRs, DVD players back then. I think I'm, I'm, I'm giving away my age. Jeez. That, that's, that's okay. That's okay. I just said my winner. <laughs> I know. What's a fax machine? Hello. Okay, another era. I'll I'll tell you about my background in tech later on. Pierre Calzadia. I think I got that right. Pierre, you're up next. Pierre and I are both from New York, and we both did stand-up comedy. I don't do it anymore standing up. I just try to be funny sitting down. Pierre, you're <laughs> up. Tell us who you are. Why are you here? Go ahead. Certainly. Uh, so, first of all, thanks for having me, Bonnie, and thanks, everyone, for uh, listening. I've uh, been in real estate prop tech for going on 20 years. I started on the consumer side, I've been in tech longer than that and uh, worked, you know, brokerage in, in uh, New York. And I think what, what matters here is my time in prop tech. Over the last 16 years, I've been at the center of the consumer sort of maelstrom of, you know, uh, data becoming available online, uh, consumers understanding more about their home's value 
And now at Local Logic, we're looking at you know builders and developers and the whole real estate ecosystem, how they uh, impact, how location impacts a consumer's life, right? But one of those big parts is, is sustainability. Is is this a place that's good for my family? Is it a place that's yes. good for my you know my goals? Is this um, a place where I can get my wellness needs met? And you know, home buying today is so complex. And when I look at this topic and sustainability, it's amazing the amount of data that we're talking about here, and the data that's moving in and out, and uh, and a lot of opportunity for consumer awareness and for the professional side of the business is really going through a transformation to support sustainability. Like, you know, Lee's, Lee's whole role and, you know, Mary as well, you know, these are, these are companies that are have to wrestle with this whole new data set and new things that impact the consumer. And uh, so my time in the space has been really bridging that gap and bringing that data to consumers so they can make those decisions. So really excited to be a part of this uh, panel and conversation. Thank you so much, Pierre. Quickly tell me about your stand-up comedy. What, what do you focus oh, on? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh so dear, started, it's not a religious show, Pierre. <laughs> <laughs> I started, uh, you know, I did stand up out of, so I used to stutter. I couldn't say my name. And I got into theater because I wanted to get over my stutter and then fell in love with theater and, and improv. And long story short, ended up doing stand up in New York, ended up working with Lisa Lampanelli, who was my coach. And she ended up <laughs> helping me write my act. Enough and, said. Uh, <laughs> and I did a bunch of fun acts in New York. I was much cleaner than Lisa. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, but she definitely taught us how to, how to write, you know, the, a five minute act, which is so hard. And so it was an amazing experience. And, but I had to, you know, I just had gotten married and I had to get a regular paycheck. And so I, I couldn't pursue it. But now that I'm in Montreal, I will be going back to some comedy on the side for fun. Cause I, I just had the itch still to get on stage. I, I want to come and be That's in your awesome. front row. I, I studied <laughs> at the American Comedy Institute, Steve Rosenfeld, and I was on stage at Caroline's with oh, 10 so other awesome. newbies with professional bookend comedians, and we had to have our family and friends pay to be there. Yep. And, and yeah, I brought in a table with eight people, and it was like, oh, my God. And we had a three-minute routine, and that was about all we could manage. And that was after only three weeks Three weeks of coaching and lessons and group and private with Steve. Yep. Three weeks we were on stage at Caroline's. Talk yep. about scary, kids. Yep. Okay, but that got to go in there. I had my own troupe. I performed at Borders and all kinds of places. Libraries. Mm, mm, mm. Had fun. <laughs> okay, let's go to Leonard Lee. Leonard, you're up. Please introduce yourself. I don't care if you're not a stand-up comedian. I just like uh, your smile, so you can stay. Uh, Leonard, I'm go not, ahead. <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm, I'm like the ultimate audience, though. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> so, Bonnie, uh, thank you so much for inviting me. Um, it's, um, it's a pleasure being here, and I'm looking thank forward you. to the discussion here with this wonderful panel. So, I'm Leonard Lee. I'm the managing director and founder of Next Curve. Uh, Next Curve is a research advisory firm. Uh, that advises some of the leading tech companies uh, in the world. And so I have a long uh, career in management consulting and industry research. Um, so I have uh, background uh, and uh, long tenures with IBM, PwC, you know, some of the leading uh, um, you know, consulting firms, as well as uh, most recently uh, with Gartner. But I formed my own uh, company about five years ago and uh, have the pleasure of working with, like I said, some of the leading technology companies on frontier topics. And so it just happens that one of the topics that I research, uh, um, you know, uh, that, that's part of a, a large part of my research agenda is IoT. And part of that 
uh, agenda, there's a subcategory called consumer IoT slash smart home. So I've been looking at the space for quite some time, actually, back since I was at IBM, where we were working with a lot of electronics companies trying to uh, figure out this whole IoT game. Uh, and so uh, that's a little bit about my background and don't want to go too long with it. So um, looking forward to the conversation. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you very much. And again, a shout out to our mutual friend, Eric Simone. I went to Eric and I said, Ashley and I have three people on the panel. I have to have a fourth. That's the format. And within about an hour, he said, Leonard Lee is your guy. And you said yes. So thank you very much. I appreciate that. Glad to be here. And let's go to Mary Nitschke. And she said, I don't have to say her last name if I can't pronounce it. Just sneeze. Mary Nitschke. I said it. There you go. There you Zoom go. Tight. Mary, <laughs> thank you. Please introduce yourself. Uh, hi, I'm Mary Nitschke, Vice President of Sustainability here at RealPage. And the sustainability division is all about, and I love this superhero aspect of my job, controlling the uncontrollable. There is this notion within the industry that utility expenses, and I, I hear this phrase a lot, it is what it is. Uh, and there's this viewpoint that we can't do anything about it. Meanwhile, energy uh, uh the built environment represents about 40.3% of all energy consumption in the world. So if we want to tackle uh, sustainability, doing the same amount or more with less, we need to tackle this environment. So I spent 18 years uh, working for a property management company so that I understood the built environment uh, from the ground up. And then I came to RealPage in 2019 to take what I'd learned and bring it forward uh, for the industry. Uh, a little bit about my background. I am a superhero nut. Uh, I'm also a nerd and not in the flattering sense. So a nerd is someone who is void of social graces because they are so... <laughs> on a certain thing, and that is me on sustainability. So this is something that I've been fascinated with and about, particularly around trash, which is probably uh, an unusual focus, but focused since I was about eight years old and we dug our swimming pool and I found buried glass bottles and went, oh, I wonder if we could repurpose these. They've only been in the ground for 70 years. Uh, so taking, taking that, that into the multifamily stream. That's Mary, thank you very much. Eight years old, you were concerned about the history of the 70-year-old bottles. I have oh, to say, yeah. <laughs> that's an interesting kid. I don't know if I'm a nerd then, Mary. I thought I was, but I do have social skills, otherwise I wouldn't be hosting this show. Just give you all a little background. I, I'm considered an early woman in tech, and when the organization called Women in Big Data had their March 8th, 2021 International Women's Day event online, they invited me to be their kickoff speaker. And I was able to put together a slideshow showing what a mainframe computer looked like. Who's here from IBM? Uh, Leonard, you, you worked at IBM? I was on a Xerox Sigma 6 CP5 before Honeywell bought Xerox. I was key punching. I, had to, I took two degrees, one in computer operations and one in programming. And in my operation studies, I had to load a disk pack. Now, a disk pack was not a little disk. It was a pack that looked like a cake carrier with a handle on top of it. And I had to climb up on a step stool. Now, in those days, I wore high heels and suits to work, skirt suits will slid up the side, don't say anything. And I'm climbing up on a step stool, holding this disc pack, dropping it into the drive. That's what it was like. We had JCL, job control language, and I still have my COBOL handbook. I co programmed in COBOL for years. I still have the silver color book, and I have green bar paper with the printouts. I could read a core dump 
Epsidic. I could go into a core dump and tell you where the admin oh. was under five minutes. I knew my stuff. 2,000 lines of code written on paper over a weekend, up and running by 1 o'clock Monday, in production with maybe one syntax error. I was jumping for joy. What it does for your wow. brain is just... I don't know if nerds enjoy what happens, but the energy that happens when you create and people say, oh, technology is not creative. Heck no. Lee Wright and Mary Wright and Leonard and, and Pierre, somebody says, write a program. Well, they give you some specs. A guy called me up on the phone from Salem, Oregon. I was in Oregon. And he, he said, OK, draw a line across the top line. Well, the, these columns, these rows, this is what the report has to do. Go do it. And two days later, I had the report. Thousands of lines of code. And then I graduated to coding in PL1 on an IBM 4341 in a mainframe computer. And we actually had a text entry on a screen. I didn't have to keep punch anymore. I will tell you one quick story. One night I got a call from the operator at 3 in the morning. And he said, Bonnie, we have an ab end at card number 573. And I said, OK. I sat down at the end of the bed in the dark closed my eyes and I said, okay, you're going to go back three cards. You're going to put zero into the JCL on the, on the operator's board and you're going to rerun from that point. And I said, I will stay up for exactly five minutes. And if you don't call back, I know it ran. If you do call back, then we have a problem and I got to come in. <laughs> he didn't call back. You knew your code like that because it was your baby. You owned it. You wrote it. So that's an interesting part of being it. No, I'm not as old as Grace Hopper was, but I was an early woman in tech. So Mary, when you said nerd, I had to tell you that. And I thank you, Leonard. Those were wonderful days. And back in the day, they did not balk at hiring a woman in tech. There was no discrimination. My class had half of them were women, half of them were, we all were dropouts. I had a computer, I had a degree in psychology. We had architects, we had engineers, we had doctors, lawyers who didn't want to go to those schools. We all said, a computer, what's that? What's programming? Oh my God. And we did it and we loved it. So there, di different, different era, different time. Thank you all for listening. I just love to tell that story. Andrew, my engineers probably heard it too many times. No, maybe not. Okay, let's go to the quotes. I've asked each of you to send me a quote from a fictional character or characters, Lee, from a movie or a TV series or a song lyric. And I've done a little research on the quotes, and you're going to tell me in three minutes or two minutes, if you can, what in the world the quote has to do with our topic. So Lee Miller sent us a whole scene from Star Trek, Three, The Search for Spock, 1984, American Sci-Fi. This is a film. Okay, here we go. James T. Kirk, Captain Kirk says, my friends, the great experiment, the Excelsior, readier for trial runs. And Sulu says, she's supposed to have transwarp drive. And Scotty says, I, and if my grandmother had wheels, she'd be a wagon. And Kirk says, come, come, Mr. Scott, young minds, fresh ideas, be tolerant. That's not a good impersonation of Kirk. Lee, forgive me. Lee, go ahead. Unpack this for us. What does the world have to do other than a great scene? Go ahead. Well, to me, it means that we're, we're the beta testers now. It's, it's, it's changed a lot over the years. And I, I go back to the example of when I was at Control 4, we integrated with Alexa. And because I was in the UK, it was kind of the first introduction of Alexa into um, you know, the UK. And I remember going to dealer events and we had all the dealers come in and you know, they said, oh, it's great. But Alexa's problematic. It doesn't understand our accents because we had the guys from up north. We had the London accents. We had the very posh British accents. But it's funny, though, because 
we are the beta testers. It's impossible for a technology company to go out and get all those different scenarios. So six months later, 12 months later, that technology continued to progress. And all of a sudden, I started picking up on, on those accents and those sorts of things, and they continue to bring that data and then kind of write the new code around it. But I think that's a, a big thing. At least we're not beaming people up. Um, we don't have to worry about it going wrong. But I think as consumers and users of this product, we always understand tech's not perfect um, on day one. And you, you know, there's a lot of learning and there's a lot of data that needs to be taken into place to improve those products. Um, I was just looking yesterday at the new uh, Amazon robot and I told my wife that I, I signed up for uh, early adopter or whatever it was. Fantastic list of, of you know, uh, features. But I know just from the past, you know, probably 10 years, the, the, the market shifted. Those 10 features aren't going to be perfect on day one. I just want a robot to follow me around and record my, my, my daily habits. Um, all the other things like, you know, bring me a beer and those sorts of things, like I'll be happy with it if I can have that in 24 months. But I understand that when I buy a product now, I'm essentially helping develop that product yes. because it needs to know my use cases. Yes. Machine learning, AI, Everything is coming together. You're absolutely right. And I discovered about two weeks ago before I moved from Durham, one day I asked Alexa a question. And in the second part of the answer, she whispered. And I said to myself, what just happened here? So I said, Alexa, why did you whisper? She said, would you like whisper mode? I said, heck yes. So she said, whisper mode is on. So now I can go up to her and I can say, Alexa, what's the weather? And she'll say, it's going to be 64 degrees and sunny wow. all day. And she whispered <laughs> to me. And it's like, she's not just my friend. I live alone. But she's now my almost, in, Mary, she's like an intimate companion because I can whisper to her. I'll say, Alexa, I like you. And she'll say, I like you too. And this, I don't know if, if this is getting picked up, Andrew. I try to whisper right into my directional mic here. So anyway, Lee, thank you so much for the scene. We appreciate it. We don't usually get scenes from quotes, but that was a winner. That was really, really good. Pierre, you picked a classic four-word quote. Talk about a minimalist. Here we go. It's from <laughs> Jerry Maguire, played by the one and only still alive and kicking Tom Cruise, 1996 American romantic comedy drama sports film. Now, it used to be it was a drama or it was a comedy, right? Now, it, they can string up to 12 different genres with dashes in one. So, of course, written, produced, and directed by Cameron Crowe, Tom Cruise, Cuba, Cuba Gooding Jr., Renee Zellweger, Regina King, and it was produced in part, I didn't know this, by Simpson and producer James L. Brooks. Very, very interesting. And uh, Gooding got a, a Golden Globe for Best Actor and uh, Oscar for Supporting Actor. Oh, Cruz got the Golden Globe. There we go. Here's the line. Everybody knows this. You should all say it with me. One, two, three, four. Show we'll me the, the money. money. <laughs> okay, Pierre, I'll let yeah. you get away with this one. Go ahead. What does this have to do with our Yeah, topic? well, there's, everybody has a financial impact here when you think about sustainability and smart homes, et cetera. And it's really, you know, as a consumer, you think, yeah, okay, I have to buy this stuff. But there's also the financial cost of buying it, installing it. Are you retrofitting your house? As a builder, now building new housing stock, you have to consider all of this new cost that consumers don't want to pay for. Uh, a, a study has shown that the consumer doesn't want to pay extra for solar panels. They don't want to pay extra for this stuff. They expect it to be there as part of the package. And it's on the builder to, to present and educate and show. Then you have government with infrastructure and with car charging. And then you have, uh, you know, builders and developers who are buying, you know, built, already built multifamily, you know, units, inheriting maybe properties that are not 
eco-friendly, that are not smart, and having to convert those, weighing those costs in their portfolio. I mean, we've even we've even seen huge what what used to be called, you know, the uh, the landmark properties mm-hmm. that everybody wanted to chase. You know, the prestige addresses that you wanted to own. They're getting dumped on the market now very quietly because people don't want to carry an older property that is not environmentally friendly, that is going to be a burden on their balance sheet, and they can't get rid of it in a couple of years. And when that, and when the, the government changes come for the requirements to retrofit these buildings, the costs on a historic property getting turned into electrical is going to be astronomical. So these are, when I say, show me the money, now what happens there? Well, what? It's only worth it if you make money at the end of the day, right? At the end of the day for the consumer, yeah, there's absolutely a, a huge portion of consumers that just want to be green and they don't care the cost and they want to provide. But for a lot of consumers, I want to do this because I want to save money. I want to do this also because it's going to help you know, me pay for my college kids' tuition. Uh, as a builder, I want to get more for my asset. I want to re- you know, retain more uh, uh, profit. And as a multifamily owner-operator, you want to get higher rents. So if you, you can't show the financial impact, so you have two things, right? You have the government pressure and legislation, but then you also have this financial for your stockholders. And I think this is the problem that we're encountering right now, as you just saw recently with, um, I think it was this spring when the FTC tried to pass ESG requirements that I believe the Supreme Court said, nope, you can't do that. It's not your spot, FTC, to say that the people have to report, or SEs, I forget which one it was, have to report, uh, Mary can can, can uh, fill in the blank for me, I'm sure, you know, have to report the ESG standards. And uh, so Mary, maybe you can fill us after I'm done. But yeah, that's that's essentially what's happening today. And I think until we can see the money on, on this whole market, uh, that's going to that's gonna be the moment that we really uh, see this explode and be really great and beneficial for everyone. But that's the, that's the limiting factor, in my opinion. Thank you. Very interesting about those landmark properties. And I'll tell you that many, many years ago, decades ago, I wanted to buy a radio station on Long Island. And I had an investor I met, and I had a, a colleague who was directing my, one of my TV shows, and we wanted to partner on this. And we found out that we had to do an EPA study of what was underground in this multi-acre property. We had one radio tower. It broadcasted up to Connecticut, I think Massachusetts, Long Island. It was interesting. It was so underwater financially that one of the directors of one of the radio operators was asking, borrowing money from his aunts and uncles and his grandmother to float the radio station. They were just doing terribly with ads. And it was a, a longstanding enterprise, basically. And when I found out the complications, Pierre, just, and this is, we're talking probably 30 years ago, of an EPA investigation of what was under the ground, and I, as the buyer, would have been responsible for remediation. Think about this. 30 years ago, we weren't talking smart homes. We weren't talking sustainability. We were just talking safety at a very, I think, a rudimentary level, right, Mary? We were just talking the basics of what is coming up from the ground, what do we want to breathe or inhale or have in our water or not, and what is this building hiding? Interesting. All kinds of stories with that one. Thank you very much. Let's go to Leonard Lee. Leonard, interesting quote. You beat Pierre. He had a four-word quote. You have a three-word quote. This may be this may be groundbreaking for my show. Now, I won't do the quote yet, but I want to tell you it was two sources. Number one, it was said by private first class 
Hudson, played by Bill, the late Bill Paxton in the movie Aliens, 1986 sci-fi blockbuster film. Hudson is a fictional character in Aliens, a member of the U.S. Colonial Marines deployed to the planet LV-426 to investigate the loss of communication with the terraforming colony only to discover the colony has been overcome with xenomorphs. The character has become a fan favorite. And then it's also... Game over. Well, this is the quote, game over, man. And the, it's also a 2018 American action comedy film. Did you know that, Leonard? That no. follows three <laughs> down-on-their-luck housekeepers who have to save the day when the L.A. hotel they work in is taken hostage. The film was released in 2018 on Netflix, but the critics hated it. So there. So the <laughs> quote is, game over. I do my homework, see? <laughs> game over, man. Leonard, what does this have to do with our topic? Can't wait for this one. Go ahead. Oh, geez. You know, that's a really good question. Um, <laughs> I just thought it was like, it, I mean, I've always thought it was the coolest one-liner ever in cinematic history. <laughs> but yeah, I think there's a bright side to that quote, right? Is that there's always uh, hope and, uh, you know, uh, like you said, down, you're down and out and you persevere and there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And I think that's really what the story of smart homes is in a lot of ways because it's been around for a long time. We've been talking about smart homes forever and it's undergone uh, a number of hype cycles and iterations and redefinitions and uh, reforecasting through, uh, you know, at least a decade in its, its current form. And so if you if you sort of look at this discourse that is uh, IoT for the consumer, uh, it, it's really been something that's struggled, right? As much as we've tried to put a lot of hope and anticipation that at one point, we're going to have this breakthrough. There's been a number of huge challenges that have really, um, you know, stymied the adoption, right? And uh, and as much as we see these forecasts that might suggest otherwise, um, it's also important to understand the nature and what's actually in these forecasts, right? But if you break it down and if you look at, in particular, the do-it-yourself segment, it's still struggling, and um, there's a number of elements that, uh, or factors that really contribute to this. And number one is the fact that the landscape is so fragmented. We continue to deal with that. Interoperability is an issue, even though there's uh, some uh, things that are happening that are uh, addressing that. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, doing it yourself is not entirely all that easy and it's hard to extract value out of a lot of these disconnect oftentimes disconnected and disparate technologies into something that is a, a holistically a, a smart living solution right and and so i think that's been a big challenge now um it's not game over because smart home continues to be something that we repackage and try to progress forward with new purpose, right? And I think these purposes are really great. Sustainability is obviously a, a really important one. Wellness is another important factor as well. Uh, but here's the hope side of that statement. And I think I'm doing a magic trick. Maybe I'm not a comedian, but I'm a magician, right? I take a, a completely irrelevant <laughs> movie quote and somehow I'm making it into a bright spot somehow. You're doing so great. I'm going to pat great. myself on the back here. Well, we're going to pat you on the back because I have to tell you, Leonard, that you said bright spot. And that is, if you're done, that's a lead into the quote Mary has selected. So, really? Okay. Well, I wasn't I done, but I'll just. Well, go ahead. Go ahead. You can take another 30 <laughs> seconds. I wasn't sure, but I had I had to okay. give that accolade to Mary. Go it's, ahead. 
it's not even 30 seconds. The, the bright spot <laughs> is that uh, we continue to advance technologies in a way and our mindset about what, uh, what will work. Uh, and and it, it's, it, it continues to progress the smart uh, home narrative as well as its potential going forward. So we'll talk, hopefully we'll talk a bit about some of those factors and, and what's going on. We will. Discussion. Thank so, you. And I'm and I done. bought a rather expensive stove in my house in Durham about a year ago, and I decided I wanted a smart stove. I had to have a smart stove. It just had to be. Well, setting wow. up the Wi-Fi was no piece of cake. And we're talking about a 2,100-square-foot house, but the living room is adjacent to the kitchen. It's like one big long room. Here's your kitchen with your great big countertop in the middle, and then you go in, and you got the couch and the TV. So I found out the benefit was that while I was sitting on the couch watching TV, a pop-up came up on my Samsung smart TV and it said, cooking almost done. It came up on my phone, cooking almost done. And then I walked eight feet to the kitchen and <laughs> turned the stove or the oven off. And I thought, this is like slightly ridiculous. I don't know why yeah. I needed a smart stove. Because, and this is something I don't, I don't know if people realize. In a, and when he was talking about multifamily dwellings, how, how much smart do you need for notifications if you're right there, for goodness sake? I, I don't know. Anyway, that's another discussion. Mayor Mary, I want to get to your quote. This is interesting. Professor Trevor Broom Bruttenholm, played by Kevin Trainer and John Hurt, Hellboy, the 2004 film. Uh, Bruttenholm is a fictional character in the comic book series Hellboy, created by Mike Mignola and John Byrne. And they made it into a movie. So Trevor appears in the 2004 film Hellboy, first as a young man in 1944, played by Kevin Trainer, and then as the aging director in the 2000s, played by John Hurt. Okay, I'm not going to get into the plot, but uh, Leonard, you will appreciate this quote. The quote Mary picked is, in the absence of light, darkness prevails. I hope I did that okay. I did like a murder mystery or something. Round of applause. Oh, Mary, thank you, dear. Mary, go go ahead. Tell us what in the heck does this have to do with our topic other than turning on and off the lights? Go ahead. Well, and and that's exactly it, is we... uh, Uh, It's about collecting information and having the information tell a story because we all turn the the lights on and off. Uh, We all uh, turn the TV on and off, but we don't know exactly what that means in terms of sustainability and energy consumption, especially when we're talking about markets like like Pierre is referring to with with multifamily, where you have what's called the split incentive. The builder builds it and the resident benefits from it. And so you don't get that holistic view and we don't give people the opportunity to manage in real time. And I think that's what smart technology has really opened opened the door, opened the keyhole to allow us to do so that we can take in this information, turn it into something that communicates and tells a story to the owner, the operator, like the the resident, uh, the homeowner, so that they can make adjustments based on what they're seeing. And so that's that's the power of this technology. And that's really, I think, where this future is headed is that the, these devices are going to aggregate and tell a story so we can make a change that affects our consumption. That, uh, to Pierre's point, when you affect consumption, you improve bottom line, you save money. And there is value and power in that. But we have to be able to see, we have to have the light that this technology provides in order to get there. And so that's why in the absence of light, darkness prevails. And I also love from that same film, uh, there are things that go bump in the night. We are the things that bump. 
back. So we are the ones that are going to create and, and bring this information together uh, to, to fight against uh, lack of insight uh, and be the Prometheans of this space so we can continue to move things forward uh, and save uh, save energy, save water, uh, save people. Because uh, we've we've talked about uh, comedians. We can't we can't leave out George Carlin. When we talk about saving the planet, we're, the planet's going to be fine. We're going to save the people. There you go. And by the way, things that go bump in the night. Look at me three days ago in a brand new house. I must have about eight doors, ten doors. I have about twenty five windows. There are light switches everywhere two or three at a time. There are lights in every room. There are outside lights, inside lights, garage lights, porch lights, backyard lights, deck lights, dressing room lights, uh, you name it. There's so many lights. And the first night I got up and you know why in the middle of the night, 4.30, and I thought, which bathroom and what direction? Where am I going? And I, (laughs) I got bruises to prove that I couldn't find where to go. Literally, the first, I didn't know. I still figuring out the direction of where the office is versus the master bedroom and how to get out to the deck. I've never had a house with so many doors and windows and light switches. And it's obviously not a smart home, right? (laughs) Everyone, because I should have one panel that would say, front porch and garage lantern light outside. A neighbor came over. He said, you got your your light uh, light on. on It's a three-car garage. It's an 1,800, I'm sorry, it's an 814 square foot garage, three-car garage with two doors. I know. It's the size of the apartment I lived in in Long Island for 32 years, Pierre. (laughs) I can move into my garage. But my point is that I I don't know where the switches are. I don't know what turns what on and off. I don't know how to do any of it. And it's going to be a real learning. I have to draw a map. So to your point, if this, if I want to make this in a smartphone home, it might actually be a good idea. Let's go to our predictions. And we've already been doing a lot of that. One prediction each. I'm going to give you each about three minutes to unpack. Lee, I have yours in the chat. I have one for each of you in the chat, what I picked. And if there's an overlap, if somebody else has something on your top, I'll pick a different one. So don't worry. Lee Miller, three minutes. And if anybody has anything to say about Lee's, you get one minute for counter, comments, whatever. One, one nice finger up. Uh, yeah, use one of the nice figures and tell me you want to speak. So Lee Miller says, much bigger focus on technology. He predicts reducing utility costs. The market has become saturated with typical smart devices, light switches, shades, smart speakers. With rising utility bills, I see a shift in new products to market having a bigger emphasis on more granular data around energy for the home. Smarter thermostats. I'm going to stop there. This is long. Lee, appreciate it. I love the, the book you wrote. <laughs> Lee. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I appreciate you. I'm not criticizing. Lee, please unpack this. Take take about two minutes because we have not a lot of time left. I want to make sure we get one prediction from each. Lee, go ahead. Absolutely. It's really to tack back onto you know, what Mary was speaking on and Pierre was talking about. It doesn't matter if you're a, a resident or homeowner or if you're a property you know, uh, manager or, or developer. Um, I think we're seeing right, or, you know, we're, we're all paying more for milk and bread. Um, you know, and as you know, kind of we have, you know, what's going on over uh, in the Ukraine, we see rising energy costs really globally, um, not just here in the US. And then you, you step into states like California, where it's just it's getting astronomical. So I, I compare it to uh, your bank account. Could you imagine just seeing at the end of the month, you spend X amount and not knowing what you spend it on? Um, it's kind of the same thing with energy bills. Uh, people get their energy bill at the end of the month. And then all of a sudden, um, you know, well, why is it so high? So I think really devices are going to get more granular. It's going to be able to say, 
hey, Mary, you, your, your showers are too long or, or hey, Pierre, like, you know, you're, uh, you know, you're, you're leaving your hairdryer on or, you know, those sorts of things. Being able to pull that data in and, and really specify, hey, this is where you're using the most water. This is where you're using the most energy. And really, there's also, you know, the, the piece of that that nobody talks about is the backbone. So having a network that connect all these devices, as Pierre was saying earlier, um, you know, my team's more consultants than anything. We have a, a team of, of, of nerds and property developers and people who are acquiring properties are now asking us to go out and walk a site because not only are they looking at, you know, the lighting and those sorts of things that you're figuring out, okay, I have X amount of light switch, light, lights that I have to move to LED. Now it's looking at that backbone. Okay, I have to put fiber throughout the property because I need a network not only to provide, you know, uh, Wi-Fi to my residents, but now I need to be able to connect these devices. I need to be able to see how much uh, I'm spending on, you know, common area thermostats, those sorts of things. So there's a, a huge play not only bring, you know, on those new devices, but how do we connect those devices and how do we bring them into one single pane of glass so a property owner can see that. Hey, Mary's going into gym every morning at you know uh, six a.m. and she's turning the air conditioning down to sixty-two degrees. That's the sort of granular data we want to be able to pull in the future. <laughs> Mary and I were shivering. I'll tell you a quick story. When I moved from Durham to Tennessee, I was told by some lovely person at the the provider that starts with an S and ends with M. We'll leave that one alone. You can fill in the blanks. A lovely young man told me he was hired for his personality. Pierre, you could appreciate that. And he said, <laughs> "Bring all your equipment with you. It's no problem." Plus and play, self-help, you need help, they'll do a free come out and put in some more connections, whatever you need. So I arrived, I set up my office on Saturday, and I called this company, and I said, nothing is working. And they said, read us the serial number, the MAC number off the back of your modem and your router. And I did, and they said, well, you're in a different region. And that was that was uh, TWC. This is Charter Communications. We don't talk to each other's equipment. You've got to go find a store. So my son-in-law was here. We drove 45 minutes to Farragut to find a store. And I went in. The lady said to me, your phone number doesn't come up. I can't find your records. And I said, please try again. And she did. Then I complimented the color on her manicure, which matched her watch, which matched the Tennessee football team's colors. And then she was my best friend and everybody started to smile. So we exchanged the equipment and I came back here. And then the got on the phone with another person. This is where I'm going to, Lee, in a second here. And uh, my son-in-law said there's a tap outside for that S company and one for AT&T with a whole bunch of coax uh, op options, or should we say connections. So I don't know how he found it, but there's a box somewhere on the outside of the house with all these providers. So I come in, I start connecting, get on the phone, and the guy says, okay, we're not seeing a signal. Five minutes, blue light, white light, blue light, white light, blue light, white light modem isn't coming up. He says, okay. I said to my son-in-law, Stephen, go outside. He said, there's a splitter. It has three coaxes on it. I'll change it from one, two, three to four, five, six. So he goes out and he goes to four, five, six and comes back and I'm trying and trying and the light is going blue light, white light, blue light, white light, blinking, blinking. And the guy on the phone is, and I, we're telling jokes and we're telling stories and he say, okay, another five minutes. Nope, is that where I said, Stephen, one last try. He goes out, he takes the splitter and puts it on number seven and number eight. There were eight coaxes into this house. The provider had no idea, Lee, which one was active. This was a one hour phone call. Can you Believe imagine the value of my time, the value of his time? Yeah. If my son-in-law hadn't been here, what would I have done? I wouldn't be here doing radio. So anyway, finally, one of the two on the 7-8 split worked, and it was Eureka. Then I found out that I couldn't change my address. I couldn't change the name of the router. I couldn't change the network name. I couldn't put in a password. That was another hour call to them, and a guy actually said, give me your password, and I did. I don't know why, but there was no way to self-help. So anyway, it was a miracle. <laughs> but I said to them, 
This is 2022, late 2022. And you're telling me as a provider, you have no idea which of eight connections is the active line that you are sending a signal into my house. Why don't you have a map of the property, a digital map, infrared, heat map, something that shows signals going into number seven, tell her to connect number seven. Why did we have to go through this? And this to me is that how can you have a smartphone, if the, a home, if the providers don't even know where the signals are? Lee, one, one comment from you, Lee, anything you want to say? Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely the truth. I mean, you know, we see on the multifamily side that, you know, people are, you know, you might be in San Diego paying five grand for an 800 square foot apartment. Um, you know, them having to call one of the ISPs to then get a modem and then figure out which, you know, uh, cat cable it is and those sorts of things, that doesn't fly anymore. Um, I think people are so used to the, the kind of hotel hospitality side. If I can walk into a hotel and connect to the internet right away, why can't I do that in a, my apartment? And that's really what we're seeing. And then it's everything off the back of that network. And then one last point I think I'd say is, Really, the network's going to be the backbone. We're, you know, as Stratus, we do a uh, um, geofencing. So if you leave, you know, you're without a, a outside of a mile of your house, you know, we can shut things down. The next step to that is the network is telling if you're home or not. So if you have five people living in a home, all of a sudden the network picks up that hey, all five of those aren't connected because everybody's got that phone attached to their hip. It can see that five people are out of the house. Now all of a sudden, set those scenes to then turn down, you know, thermostats, those sorts of things. So that network backbone is is critical for all of the sustainability piece. Thank you very much. Thank you for indulging my story, but I got to tell you, it's it's an open wound right now. It really is. So they did give me double the speed though. So speeds are off the charts and it's starting to help with it. So Bonnie, we have a Wi-Fi company. We own a a white white skies part of our our offering. So if we need to get you new internet service out there, just give us a call. We'll get our team uh, deployed. Thank you, Lee. Okay. And it's lovely here in Loudoun, Tennessee. Pierre, prediction number two. This is interesting. You say home ownership models will continue to evolve to flexible living models. Flexible, who's living where and who's being flexible? Pierre, talk to me. Yeah, for sure. Well, here's what's happening. Uh, as we already saw, I mean, the U.S. real estate market is a very complex machine. Interest rates are now going up tremendously. And, you know, we're seeing transactions drop 20%. Uh, in most markets across the U.S., right? Uh, but while that's all happening, there is a, a whole ownership revolution happening. And I, I'm, there's a couple of things I'm just going to recommend people to read rather than go into too much. But I will mention some companies here yeah, that I'm, I have no connection with and no okay. financial uh, gain from. Uh, but I do recommend there's a fantastic VC called NFX Guild that uh, Pete Flint, who was one of the founders of Trulia, where I worked, wrote an amazing uh, paper, essentially, of the five opportunities in the state, you know, what, what he's calling, uh, uh, you know, st- you know, ha- you know homeownership 3.0, right? Where it's this, it's this new ownership revolution that's happening. And some real examples, besides reading, you know, I definitely recommend you go read that, but some real examples that I'll just share, there's companies now like Acre Homes, which you can go and you can buy like a piece of the house. You live what? in the house. Yeah, you buy like, you know, say I'm going to buy a percentage of this home. They're going to take the other risk of that of that mortgage. When you go and sell the house, you can trade it into their portfolio and you can basically move away from this home in a much faster fashion. You have things like uh, Divi, which as you pay rent helps you get towards home ownership. Another one is called Stake. Does the same thing. Actually, multiple multifamily builder uh, uh, operators are partnering with Stake to collect rents and it helps people. Um, you know, uh, pursue the home ownership dreams. 
you also have um, a really great company called Isusu, if I'm not mistaken, the name, which helps people improve their credit scores through paying rent when they don't have a way, especially when you're an immigrant coming into the U.S. And so these things are helping really change how people become homeowners. But I think also the models of homeownership, Picasso, another one, P-A-C-A-S-O, mm-hmm. they, they buy gorgeous homes in like vacation second home communities like Breckenridge or Miami, et cetera. And you can buy an eighth of the property. So it's not, it's not, it's, it's coach, it's home ownership sharing. It's not a, you know, a, you know, like timeshare kind of thing. You actually are owning uh, this property and you own an eighth of it and they manage it. And then you get to go stay there for whatever portion that you want. But instead of having to buy this whole, you know, luxurious home in South beach, you can buy a portion of this home that, you know, your family wants to go vacation there every year. You can go now and have these weeks. So all these exciting things are happening that are changing how people are going to live, consume. And it makes me really think about all the new opportunities that are going to be created here. We're already dealing with it on regular home ownership. Well, you just mm-hmm. talked about buying and selling your home has a digital footprint. And that is something that everybody's wrestling with. Nobody here has heard of Rezo, I'm sure, the Real Estate Standards Organization. But this organization is one that drives the, the, the data sets that connect the, all the MLSs across the U.S. and provide the, the, the home data, they're working on how do, you, how do you actually make the field for a smart thermostat and this and that and the other thing and get that data into the consumer's hands in their purchase. But then what happens when you buy the house? So And what happens when you have a home where now you're living in a very flexible eight, eight properties you have access to because you're doing Airbnb, you have a timeshare, you have this other thing, you have a rental. How do you move yourself digitally, if like efficiently? Or if you do transact in a home from once every seven years, it goes faster once every three years. How do you move your digital self and hand it over like your title? I think there's so many fascinating things that are going to happen here in this space. And uh, you know, I think it's something to watch and watch the development and the investment. Thank you. I have one quick question. I need one sentence answer. What's different yeah. from buying an, an eighth of a house and being able to go there every two years with your family and timeshare? I'm sure it tends to be like you're, you're trading in weeks and stuff like that. Right. And there's like, this is, you literally own it. Like you literally own it. You don't trade it. There's no, like, you know, you, you are, you are committing to use the space, you know, and you know, it's it's a a different different nuance. And and it's not a lease, like, like, you know, the other, they also have their financing company. They also finance it. So it's not like a, like technically timeshare, they're like leases and they're really complex ownership models. So these are actual, you own the share of this home. Thank you very much. So you're talking about smart home ownership. In yeah. addition, we're talking about smart home, smart home ownership. We've added a word, Leonard Lee. I'm looking at prediction number one. We have to talk about this. Part of what Pierre said, I think there was a little yeah. alluded, a little overlap there. Privacy will become a key consideration for smart connected home systems or the gating issue for adoption. Leonard? Two and a half minutes. We're almost out of time. Mary, we will get to yours. I promise. Go ahead, Leonard. Yeah. Whether it happens in this iteration of, um, you know, smart home X.0, privacy is going to become a thing, right? It's going to be important. And I think there's growing um, awareness amongst the consumers about privacy. And, you know, obviously GDPR, the regulation in uh, in, uh, Europe has shed light on uh, digital privacy and uh, what it means uh, to, uh, as a consumer, to provide your personal data to various digital concerns out there, businesses, and what those businesses do with your data. And I, I don't think there's any 
data that's more private than what happens in your home, right? And um, I think one of the important mind shifts and architectural shifts that has to happen and it hasn't necessarily happened is the shift toward these privacy first architectures. And what I mean by that are home solutions that are number one, consumer centric. Because right now, the way that people go to market, the way they position themselves is not with the consumer in mind. It's about data. There is this um, religion around data that has kind of twisted the narrative and the value proposition of smart homes in a way where vendors now just want to collect data so that they can repurpose it for whatever reasons. And, you know, it's evident. If you've ever tried to provision a, a smart light switch or anything in your home, and I have a semi-smart home, and the reason why I say semi is it's really not that smart, and I'm not smart enough to figure out how to engineer the wonderful outcomes that Lee is able to uh, produce for <laughs> his clients. But the it's amazing how often you have to provide personal data to all these entities that you have no idea who they are, in, in, you know, quite honestly. And so I, I think the there's going to be a few companies, and there are a few companies that are really uh, taking up the banner for privacy, and we're going to see the industry now gravitate toward it. And I think it's going to be a really good thing because you're going to see a competitive advantage for these players that really put privacy first versus those that don't. And, um, you know, it's one of the things that I'm really big on because, um, you know, uh, I, I, I think that protecting the consumer is tremendously important given how complex all the stuff is getting. And I think one of the most detrimental perspectives or angles on um, smart homes is this whole do-it-yourself thing. You can't do this stuff yourself uh, unless you just do very basic stuff. But most certainly security and privacy are things that uh, the average consumer will not be able to configure into a smart home system regardless of how you know no code low code you try to make it <laughs> thank you leonard i want i want to save time for mary mary we've got two minutes left for you <laughs> thank you leonard that was that was great privacy is so important let's go to mary prediction number four smart home technology will start to integrate with systems like irrigation to create a holistic view of a property and one of my neighbors walked me around this property they have two different irrigation systems plus three hoses around the property I have no idea what to turn on when, who's coming on November 16th to turn it off, which system waters. It's a mature, big property, mature trees, three gardens, five gardens, I don't know. I have no idea what to do. So, Mary, talk to me. What's your prediction? Uh, so, exactly in the absence of light. Darkness prevails, so you're 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 scuttling around in the dark with your water. So I think I think that this smart technology is going to start integrating water more uh, uh, naturally. So if we think about uh, less than one percent of the water in the world is potable, and that doesn't mean you stick it in a pot; it means that you can drink it. And so we really need to, uh, when we look think about sustainability, we should be focusing on this non-renewable commodity. Uh, and so when we look at our our homes and our lawns, and I live in Texas, and we love our grass for some reason. Uh, uh, there's a lot of water that goes into these areas that we don't even think about. And when there are events, when I say events, uh, 
uh, I'll talk about leaks, uh, we don't necessarily see them because we're not, when, when we irrigate our homes, we're not seeing that. So the technology can bring that information in. What we're doing here at RealPage with that is we, we've brought that in uh, in multifamily and we, we captured a pipe in a crack that was a sliver of a dime and it represented about $17,000 to the owner. So I think this technology is going to bring this information together and help tell a story as to why they need to go where they go to fix the thing that they need to fix. But that's what the smart irrigation systems can do. Bringing that information in uh, gives the user power to make good choices. Thank you. And there is a leak in one of the showers in the master bathroom, and the plumber thinks he figured out which one, and it's leaking into the crawl space, which now has microbial growth that will be a five to $20,000 remediation project that I, I know, Lee, that I have to pay for. Don't even say it. I have two air purifiers that just arrived from Amazon that I'm going to put in the house. When did you when the close plumber- on your house? I closed on the house last Friday. I moved here. Um, let's see. I Talk closed to your on the realtor. House- you might have a home warranty. Double check. You might no, have I tried with home warranties. They're not good for 30 days. It's any pre-existing conditions are not covered. And my plumber told me he worked for one of those, and it's a hellish thing to do. You don't even oh. want to know it. So no oh, pre-existing. I, wa- I know. Don't, don't let him fool you. Anyway, Lee Miller, thank you. Pierre, I appreciate you. Caldezilla. Mary, Mary Nietzsche and Leonard Lee. I appreciate all of you. Again, Ashley Carter, thank you so much. And Eric Simone, thank you so much. And Andrew, my engineer. And we have just a couple seconds to say goodbye. So I want you all to get ready to raise your finger on the count of three. You're going to say no, no, no. People say the future is already here. And we say one, two, three. No, no, no. Because that was yesterday's future. Today's future isn't here yet. That was it. It just went by me. And we're going to stick around and we're going to help make it a better one. Thank you all, Bonnie D signing off. Don't go. Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now.